525 with the one and only Dr. Peter McCullough, a cardiologist and internist in Dallas, Texas. Please introduce yourself, sir. Tommy, thanks for having me on the show. I've never been so busy in my life. Just before I got on, a patient of mine who had prior bypass surgery uh, contracted COVID, and immediately I started the treatment protocol uh, that we worked so hard on in the last year and a half. We know that COVID-19 is treatable, but we have to use multiple drugs in combination. Someone like him is a senior and he's had heart bypass surgery. He cannot go untreated at home with COVID-19. The risks are too high of being hospitalized and then dying. The hospital is too late to treat patients with COVID-19. I think all Americans understand that now. And thank goodness I jumped into action. Now, I'm, uh, I, I practice in Dallas, Texas. I'm on a big academic medical center. I'm the editor of two major journals, but I've been very active in COVID-19. I've, I've published dozens of papers on the topic. I've developed the first two published treatment protocols that were uh, published in the American Journal of Medicine and Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine, both in 2020. Uh, I was honored by Senator Johnson to testify in the U.S. Senate November 19th, and then by um, uh, Bob Hall in the Texas Senate March 10th of this year. And uh, I've been very careful and very accurate in terms of giving my opinions based on the scientific data on where this pandemic is and where it's going. I was a regular contributor to The Hill last year, multiple written uh, op-eds that really helped, I think, inform America where we were. Commentary on the development of the vaccines before they came out. And then this year, I'm a regular contributor to Fox News. I'm working very carefully with the Fox producers uh, to help uh, the best I can as a free uh, academic citizen of, uh, of medicine to do my work. And sadly, last week, at the same time, uh, Baylor Scott and White Health System announced their uh, vaccine mandate on the employees, which is not welcome. Uh, they uh, slapped me with a lawsuit. And the lawsuit stated that, um, <clears throat> that I was uh, falsely representing them or representing prior titles uh, in media. And I can tell you, my opinions are always my own. Uh, they're not of anyone else. Uh, there's no false representations. I've held many high positions, even before Baylor uh, in medicine. Uh, they announced to two newspapers in Dallas that they were suing me in the title of the newspaper article that I was a vaccine skeptic. So it was clear that these were slanderous uh, moves. And my wife and I are some of the biggest donors to the Baylor Foundation. Uh, I have an endowed scholarship at Baylor University in Texas, where I went to school with my son. And uh, I'm on staff at Baylor University Medical Center and Baylor Heart and Vascular Institute. The, um, I'm on active medical staff. My office is in the complex. It is the most surreal time in my life right now as patients are falling sick with COVID-19. It looks like the vaccines are starting to fail or failing. And now my health system is trying to crush me. Uh, and, and you know, a multi-billion dollar company is trying to crush a doctor uh, with an unfounded lawsuit. So there we are. It's... Yeah, it's it's and I and I also want to get this out for people listening. So, I mean, I I've, I posted uh, some VAERS data last week online and, you know, I had I had kind of people like piranhas to blood just, well, that's not true. That's not accurate. That's and, you know, well, where'd you get this information? I'm like, well, you know, Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. Well, when did you talk to him? Well, actually, here's my two hour interview with him. So my logic through all of this has been, as I told you beforehand, I want to talk about the moon. I'm going to get a guy that walked on the moon. So when I want to talk about these subjects, which I do not have professional authority to speak on, I am not an MD. You are. I try to get the most uh, qualified and uh, authoritative figures I can. 
and you seem to be the apex. You seem to be the, the Mount Everest. I can't go higher than that. Well, I can tell you, when Tucker Carlson interviewed me and we started, it was very conversational. I had never met him before. I went to his studio and we started going through this. I said, Tucker, I said, last spring, uh, the doctors weren't treating these patients. They were suffering at home. And uh, the, none of the academic medical centers opened up any clinics. They didn't put any t tents outside. Uh, they didn't do anything to help these patients. The doctors uh, recoiled and I felt compelled uh, to, to start to work to, with other doctors around the world to look for drugs with a signal with benefit and acceptable safety, start putting them into combinations. I knew a single drug couldn't cure the problem, but we are already using drugs in combination in the hospital. Why couldn't we extend that early at home? And it really led to multiple collaboratives. I worked with the Coracle Group in Italy. We had multiple independent publications uh, here, multiple societies, uh, American Association of Physicians Surgeons, Frontline, uh, Frontline uh, Critical Care Consortium, and American frontline doctors. So we started working together feverishly. And then it turns out that my wife and I had COVID-19. Uh, uh, my dad in a nursing home had COVID-19. On my wife's side of the family, we had a tragic death. I, I told Tucker Carlson, I said, I, I think as we sit here today, I think I have more authority to give my opinions on COVID-19 than anybody in the world. I said, there's nobody on the media doctors on TV. I don't think they've even seen a COVID patient. And in the Senate hearings, after uh, myself and George Free, George Free, bless his heart, uh, he came out of retirement to face the virus. He's treated thousands of patients in South Central California. Harvey Risch, meticulous academic doctor, doesn't see patients, but he really helped us with the data. I'm, I'm both seeing patients and treating patients and uh, publishing uh, uh, the best I can on the topic. Uh, uh, we, the witness that went against us from Brown University School of Public Health, uh, Senator Johnson asked him after two hours after this fellow telling uh, us that we didn't have enough evidence that we could treat patients, after two hours, Senator Johnson asked him, doctor, have you ever treated a COVID patient? Have you ever even seen one? He goes, no, I haven't. And what America's been seeing, honestly, are doctors that they themselves haven't faced the virus. They haven't had the courage to get involved in treat patients. Listen, it's kind of terrifying to think you could contract a fatal illness yourself. Uh, many have not demonstrated the courage to do that. You know, many of the early treatment doctors, including myself, we actually got the virus. A couple of us got rid in the hospital, not me. Uh, and one a poor fellow went on the ventilator. We took a lot of hits to treat America, but America's heroes right now are not at Harvard. You know, there's no Harvard program, protocol on how to treat COVID or Johns Hopkins or Duke. The heroes are not at the economic medical centers. They basically just checked out academic medicine. Sure, they took care of inpatients and they, they published on various things, but the sick Americans, the millions and millions of sick Americans, these doctors didn't do a single thing for them. It's, you know, it's, it's like what you said in one of your interviews, the guy who uh, pioneered the use of the iron lung in polio, he was kicked off the medical staff. For, for using that treatment. Or, you know, outside of medicine, we look at uh, the astronomer Bruno, who was burned at the stake for supposing that there are other celestial bodies in the world. I mean, at a certain, I mean, Joseph Lister, right? The antiseptic method. He came on tour to the United States and was like, I've got a crazy idea. Let's, uh, let's use phenol and alcohol and ethanol and clean the t tools, you know, when you put it into a pus-filled sack on one kid and then you put it into the throat of another, something might happen. They're like, get this guy out of here. And it's like, you know, it's, it's sad, but at the same time, you're in good company. Like you're in good company. You're in the company well, of I mean, heroes. I know some of these things are common sense. So sure. you look back and you look back in history. Was it better to let grandma get really sick at home for two weeks and then try to take care of it in the hospital? Or was it better to snuff it out on day one? I mean, some of these things are so common sense. 
that I, I have to tell you, uh, these are easy ones. <clears throat> People say, well, you, you, you use hydroxychloroquine. I said, you know what? There's doctors I've met in South America, South Africa. Uh, people got all uh, twisted in a knot on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. You know, they gave up on it. You can you can actually treat the illness without those drugs. They use uh, various anti-inflammatories, antihistamines, and anticoagulants on the back end. So there are so many different ways to treat COVID-19. There's no reason not to treat it in people over age 50 with multiple risk factors. By golly, we're seeing it right now. I had three or four calls this morning. Uh, we have a guest in our house, uh, tragically, uh, her, she lost her mother last week to COVID-19, one of our hospitals. And uh, America's feeling it right now. And I tell you, your podcast is so timely because Americans need to be activated. They need to demand early treatment. I had a patient this morning and his wife is very sick. I said, call the hospital and demand an antibody treatment. She went to urgent care. They sent her home with no information. Come on. We have these emergency use authorized antibodies. President Trump had one. Go in get an hour infusion come home get spruced up we can use the other medications it's just ridiculous that our system our government bodies are not helping americans in need you turn on the tv they'll say well wear a mask and take a vaccine that doesn't help sick patients right here right now and boy we got loads of them it's you know it's you know you, you can have a heart attack and they can say you need this you know this 12 trillion dollar you know any any coagulation drug and but no one wants to talk about like well, what about exercise? What about meditation? What about a lot of water? What about vitamins, nutraceuticals, as you've talked about? And even that, where you don't even have to go that route. As you said, the monoclonal antibodies. These are high-tech, NIH-funded. I had never heard of them until I had listened to an interview with you. They were made in conjunction with the EUAs, and they've no one ever talks about them. No one knows where to get them. You know, I testified in the Texas Senate on March 10th this year, and I really was on fire. I told Bob Hall and Senator Colquitt, I said, come on. Uh, right ahead of me, there was a nice gal whose father was in his 90s in Texas. He got really sick. She knew about him. She pushed for it. He got the antibodies. He pulled through, and it was a great outcome. And I told the Department of Health and Human Services, I said, where are these antibodies? Where's that 1-800 number so the next senior citizen can get them? Uh, come on, uh, the U.S. government pre-purchased 500 million doses of these. They're scattered all over the United States, and they make no word of it on TV. They should be advertising it every commercial. Listen, you're sick with COVID. You're a senior citizen. Here's the number you call. Get you an antibody infusion. I and mean, that's what they're there for. Instead, what we're getting is we're getting railroaded morning, noon, and night on wearing masks and the vaccines, and they don't help sick people. Even if someone took the vaccine now, it's not going to help them for uh, you know, a month later. I mean, come on, we're in the middle of another outbreak. We got the Delta virus now. It, you know, it is a different animal. It, uh, it you know, it's popping up everywhere. Uh, personally, I think it's a little easier to treat if we catch it early. But I don't want to get somebody two weeks into it who's had no treatment. The first couple of days is just a little stuffiness, and uh, we know people over age 50 add-on medical problems. The risk of hospitalization and death goes above 1%. And that's enough to start pulling the trigger for something. Under age 50, a young fellow like you, if you got it, I can tell you right now, you could just ride through with some easy things. We recommend nutraceutical bundle, zinc, 50 milligrams, vitamin C, 3,000 milligrams, vitamin D, 5,000 international units, and quercetin or quercetin, 500 milligrams twice a day. Fluids, get outside, air out, you know, socially distance, stay away from people, get fresh air, don't keep rebreathing the virus and ride through it. My my daughter, who's your age, she got it. 
and you know, on the back end, she just wasn't resolving it. She needed a little medicine. She needed a little doxycycline to pull through. Younger children who get it, let's say they have respiratory symptoms, we use a pulmicort inhaler, just a little prednisone, a little aspirin. We can get people through the illness. This idea that we can give no treatment has really harmed Americans. I had, I'm 30. I had COVID in August 2020. I was sick. I was, and I'm not going to say it, it, it was nothing. I was really sick. It reminded me of like strep throat in middle school. I mean, really kicked the crap out of me. And, you know, but it went away. And I understand I'm 30 and it's very easy for me to sort of detach myself from it. Fortunately, in an odd way, all of my grandparents passed away before COVID. So it, it's, you know, I don't have those. Mm. And I, I understand, like, I mean, I also understand that I'm young and it's very easy for me to say, oh, I don't need it, you know, but, you know, sucks to be you. That's not a very compassionate standpoint. But I do want to kind of shift this and it's, you know, we can we can play whack-a-mole with, well, this is happening and this is happening. And, well, Trump said hydroxychloroquine. And then, as you said, well, actually, there was a study before Trump said all of it. And you disagree that it was Trump that made it evil. It was all. Th- but so we're playing all these things. And it, it makes me kind of think of like zooming out on the battlefield. Right. You can look at every little go take that tree, go take this. Or, you know, why did we send Patton? How come Patton couldn't go to Berlin? He needed 200,000 gallons of fuel. But Eisenhower was like, there's a bigger picture and the bigger picture is winning the war. Right. And there was much bigger things. So zooming out and watching several of your interviews several times at the 30,000 foot view, the 60,000 foot view. And when you talk about it, people kind of give you a sideways glance. But when you look at all the data, when you look at everything lining up, you have people like yourself being systematically censored. Your video is taken down from YouTube. You have Dr. Robert Malone, inventor of the mRNA uh, vaccine, or the the technology on this podcast, episode 495. Uh, He's been blocked off LinkedIn. He's been unpersoned. They've edited him out of Wikipedia. The co-founder of Wikipedia has corroborated that and said it's it's been captured. Um, I had George Farid on here last week and uh, his he, he emailed me the next morning and his little screenshot, his YouTube channel, permanently done, donezo, nixed, over. When you look at all of this, uh, I had on um, uh, Mobin Saeed talking about the use of ivermectin. Mm-hmm. What I'm getting at is you have all these, again, if it's someone censors me, sure, whatever, I'm 30, I'm yelling in front of a camera about whatever. Well, okay, yeah, sure. You have all of these treatments all these early treatments and as you, you know your paper the on the ambulatory care mm-hmm. it's all being systematically censored and as you also said it's not a couple things where it's those are coincidences you look around you look at all the data you go there's you know if there's water leaking up out of your room 202 in the titanic and there's also water leaking in room 405 after about 10 rooms you don't go i think there's bad plumbing you might go i think we're sinking Right. At a certain point, it raises. And if you bring it up and you go, I think it's sinking. Other people are going, oh, there's a sinking conspiracy theorist. And you're going, we're going to die in an hour. So I say all of that ramble just now to say what there is a concerted global effort to suppress early treatment. And they're pushing only the four vaccines. And they're not even pushing the monoclonal antibodies. What? is going on i mean on the as you said on on the whitney web end do you have the it was never about covid Mm -hmm. it was about vaccine passports and controls of society i mean goebbels could only dream of this or is it what i tend to lean toward is it just a massive profit motive what is if you i mean because i think you and dr malone are the only ones who can really speak on this 
what is going on? I mean, we can talk about early treatments until the, you know, the cows come home, but what is the bigger picture, the zoomed out battlefield of winning World War II? What is the bigger picture? Why is this happening? Why is there a global suppression of early treatment? You know, I, uh, when Tucker Carlson asked me that, he started to go crazy because I said, Tucker, I'm just a doctor. I'm just telling you that every time I try to help somebody, it looks like somebody's blocking my attempt. I said, even when I had COVID-19 myself and I was in an FDA approved protocol, I was taking hydroxychloroquine. I signed consent. I was in a protocol. I was doing the right thing. And, and, uh, I, I went out and I think I was on treatment day uh, six, illness day eight, and I went out and ran. Yeah, I had it involved in my lungs, but I want I wanted to show people you can get outside safely, get some fresh air. It was very hard. I ran like two miles to a park and came back. I could barely breathe. I remember doing a video of myself. I couldn't catch my breath. Um, uh, and I said, you know, they, they smoked that video out of YouTube in a day or two. I said, you, you know, it, 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 whatever's going on, uh, and it, it basically became announced to the world in early in December. It's called the Trusted News Initiative. The Trusted News mm-hmm. Initiative said that the media is all going to band together to uh, completely promote the vaccine as the featured strategy. And it's going to do everything to suppress anything else. So uh, early treatment, oh, uh, we're going to squash that. Uh, anything on vaccine safety, we're going to squash that. The narrative is take the vaccine and, and really... To the to the um, uh, uh, exclusion of anything else. So when you turn on the news, no one's going to be giving somebody an update on how to get treatment. It's not going and it, to, and it's so uniform. We're talking every local news channel in the United States, mm-hmm. talking every newspaper, uh, every major media, and the only place where people could actually post something like you know, listen, here's a treatment protocol would be in social media and in the academic literature. The academic literature became hard to publish. I was lucky. I had enough publication strength. I was able to push it through. Um, uh, you know, I have about 600 citations in National Library of Medicine. That's far beyond anybody to talk to. So I had enough strength to get those in there. Thank goodness, because that, that window closed. Right now, we couldn't publish a paper, actually, fairly on what's going on. Even the high-quality clinical trials are not being published. There's one we use a colchicine, a cold corona trial. Uh, New England Journal of Medicine passed on that jam on Lancet. They delayed it forever until it finally came out in a lower-level journal. I mean, come on, that's a feature. It's the best clinical trial we have in all of COVID, and it, and it basically was suppressed for six months. So there was a global strategy to suppress anything on early treatment, in a sense, to promote as much fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death, almost to prepare the population to accept mass vaccination. And now that we're in an outbreak of Delta, it's pretty clear the vaccines aren't holding and people are getting Delta all over. Now there's a doubling down. It's like, oh, uh, 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 this is a crisis of the unvaccinated. Here, take the vaccine. So every, every Walmart, you know, all of the employers now, take the vaccine, take the vaccine. Well, vaccines are not treatment. It looks like they don't work completely for everybody. Um, they clearly have major, major safety problems. And we're at about half the country took the vaccine, half the didn't. And the people who didn't take the vaccine, they don't want it. And they're starting to feel like their rights are being infringed, that it's going to be forced into them. It's, that's where I am. I've, you know, I've been I've been harassed relentlessly because I, I refuse to take it. Everyone I know is taking it. And to me, that's I'm, I'm a hardliner with just you do whatever you want with your body. I'm very. Well, let's, take, yeah. let's take your situation. So you're a young man. You've had a documented case of COVID and you've COVID recovered. So in the clinical trials, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, AstraZeneca, 
you were excluded from clinical trials. The FDA would not allow you to even be in a clinical trial of these because they knew you couldn't benefit. And the thought was, since you've already had the virus, if we juice you up with messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA for the spike protein, we actually may harm you. That's the reason why you weren't in the clinical trials. Um, so now we fast forward. Uh, uh, we now have three papers, Raw, Kammer, and Methudius are the first authors of each, that show if someone like you takes the vaccine, you have an excess risk of getting really sick with the vaccine. In fact, you can be hospitalized or worse with the vaccine. We have data from the Cleveland Clinic showing that you don't need the vaccine. Even if you get exposed to COVID-19 patients, you're not going to get COVID-19 again. In fact, a well-documented case, uh, we don't even have really anything to support that you have a chance of getting COVID-19 again. Now, if you weren't, didn't have a solid case, and maybe you weren't sure if you had it or had some antibodies later on, it gets a little fuzzier, but even on fuzzy cases, an analysis by Mercu and colleagues have shown that your chances of getting are far less than 1%. Now, in the spring, after people were taking the vaccine, the CDC was fairly keeping track of vaccine failures. They had over 10,000 certified vaccine failures by the CDC. During that time period, they had zero certified natural immunity failures. Zero. So zero versus 10,000. What do you think is better? Natural immunity, of course, is better. You see, you would, there's under no circumstances, and I've got on national TV saying, listen, it's a contraindication for a COVID-recovered patient to take the vaccine. A, there's no chance it can help you. There are no studies that show it help you. You're excluded from a regulatory perspective from the FDA. And on top of that, we have data suggesting it's harm. It can only harm you. So this is really important. And, and I think the fact that, you know, the CDC is kind of loose on it. It's a, they say, you know, the vaccine's optional. You can take it. Maybe you could get it again. Uh, you know, they're kind of loose on it. And the employers are not being loose. They're saying, listen, take the vaccine. No questions. Yeah. No questions asked. Just take it even if you're recovered. And, you, and people got to push back on that and say, wait a minute. I did something for the uh, Dallas uh, small businesses. I said, if you want to know something about your employees, the vaccine is, is a useless thing because you get COVID anyway with the vaccine. What you want to know is who has had COVID because you want to have your employees, you want to have how you set up your shops and stuff. Your naturally immune people, those are the ones that aren't at any risk. They're not at risk to themselves and they're not at risk to anybody in the workplace. But as you've pointed out in other interviews, it's not about that. It's about a needle in every arm. That's what it is. It's... You know, and you have citing some of, of what you've said before, um, if I off the top of my head, because I can oddly remember numbers. Every year in the United States, there's roughly 500 million jabs over the course over across, excuse me, stretched across about 70 vaccines. And there's roughly 125 deaths uh, in 1976. The influenza vaccine, there was about 25 deaths and they wiped it off the market. Right now, we are at 165 million fully vaxxed with 340, I think 370 million jabs given. And we are looking at as of as of today, Wednesday, August fourth, twenty twenty one, at eleven twenty eight a.m. Eastern time. We are at the top of my head eleven on the VAR system, eleven thousand nine hundred and forty deaths with one thousand two hundred and seventy two miscarriages, twelve thousand eight hundred and eight people permanently disabled, and no safety review for the public, no transparency on those numbers from the U.S. FDA or CDC. Those safety reviews ought to be happening once a week since the start of the program, or at least once a month. No data safety monitoring board, no human ethics committee, no critical event committee, external panels, experts like me. Listen, I need these committees for the NIH. This is, I'm in this business. They didn't reach out to me to be an expert to look o over these. Uh, we saw a signal that mortality was getting uncomfortably 
high with the COVID-19 vaccines. January 22nd, January 22nd, we hit 186 deaths. That exceeded the boundary of comfort in terms of are they safe. That was only at 27 million Americans. By February, we should have shut this down before 30 million Americans had taken the vaccine and would have said, listen, we got to relook at this. Something's wrong. People are dying after the vaccine. Now, fast forward, we've got full, full, full blown. You said it, 11,000 deaths. Together, deaths or hospitalizations were over 100,000 of those. There's a CMS whistleblower uh, case uh, filed by attorney Rents uh, based on what we know in CMS, which keeps track of this too. Don't forget the VAERS is voluntary reporting. CMS is actually getting real-time click, click, click okay. for Medicaid and Medicare patients. The extrapolation from that is 45,000 Americans have died with the vaccine. We've never had a drug related to that. External reviews by McLachlan in London, Rosen Israel, using VAERS data published, this is available on the internet, published, have found that 50% of the deaths occur within 48 hours, 80% of the deaths occur within a week. They're strongly related in time to taking the vaccine. People in their 70s and 80s who are dying. And 86% of the time, there's no other explanation. It looks like the vaccine. So this is the tension in America right now. People are being told, take the vaccine or lose your job. Yeah. There are people saying, listen, if I take the vaccine, I could die. Yeah. So there, there is nothing more tense right now. We don't need it. I, I told I told Laura Ingram yesterday, I said, Laura, I said, listen, the day they shut down the vaccine program, it'll be a national holiday. It'll be the biggest relief of a menace that's gone over American society right now. It, you know, it was a plan to try to handle the pandemic. It didn't work out. A lot of plans don't work out. But we, the sooner we drop it, the better. It's what do you think the real in your opinion, because I've, I've, I saw that uh, that attorney file at uh, Thalmarens, yeah, saying there's 45,000 deaths. What do you, and again, because if I'm correct, you are the most published cardio, cardio-renal physician in the world and in world history, correct? I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm in the top group for COVID-19. I've put it a year and a half. I basically have done an infectious disease dedicated year of scholarship. I've read thousands of reports. I'm on conference calls with the top people. I've looked over the data uh, very carefully. So I gotta tell you what, because someone said, oh, you're not an infectious disease doctor. I said, listen, with this illness, it doesn't matter. What matters is bona fide experience in treating the illness and understanding the data. It's, and I, I, had, to, I had to get that in there just for the people that are the appeal to authority. I mean, you're the authority. It's, you know, it's, so what do you think and again, you don't speak for the institutions you work for. You speak for yourself. I, I'm Thank not employed you. by anyone. I'm self-employed, so I, I can say whatever I want. The aliens did it. doesn't matter. What do you think the actual number of United States deaths are from the vaccine? Just educated gut feeling. What do you think it is? If you, if, if you would like to answer that. Okay. So the CDC has verified. I mean, they have permanent bears numbers. And they have U.S. Uh, citizens as well as others outside the U.S. but died with these products. So they have a number at 11,000 that they verified. So that means they must have had a hospital record they died, a death certificate. The CDC actually does good work. They verify stuff. So if they're at 11,000, the question is, uh, what's the miss rate? What's the underreporting rate? And there have been papers. There's a 2016 paper from Harvard. It was based on a different vaccine. It was based on a human papillomavirus vaccine. But, um, uh, you know, that maybe there's a 10, only 10% is reported or 1% is reported. Well, death is pretty serious. So I have a hard time believing only 1% of deaths are reported or even 10%. 
Um, but let's say that uh, we have a situation where uh, there is an underreporting. That means there's a multiplier attached to that 11,000. And so, you know, one conservative thing would say, listen, uh, uh, only 20% of deaths are reported because unless somebody can get the vaccine card of somebody who died and get the lot numbers and enter all this, you can't make a solid VAERS entry. So doing a VAERS entry takes effort. We know that over 80% of the entries in the VAERS are done by doctors and nurses that have the card. You got to have the vaccine card and the information and you have to enter it. And when you enter it in, it says warning. You put false information, you go to prison, we pay a federal fine. So let me tell you, these various reports, and they start out as being temporary reports, and then the CDC verifies it. So if we have 11,000 verified, there's some number beyond that. And so right now, because attorney rents, you know, has really made a, a claiming, and I, it's all confidential right now, but the number that he has confidence in is 45,000. I'd go with that. I think, unfortunately, 45,000 souls have lost their life uh, to the vaccine. Interestingly, there was a um, social media survey uh, that was done on Twitter and uh, around 10,000 people responded to it. And the question was, do you know somebody who's died after the vaccine? Just a general question. Obviously it's social media and it could be, you know, it's biased and all the rest of this, but you know what the answer was? 12%. 12% of people out there who answered this survey said, listen, I know somebody who died in the vaccine. I think it was about 20% or so that said, I knew two people who died in the vaccine. So, so the, the, you know, the, the trusted news service said, we, we don't want vaccine hesitancy. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing that will create more vaccine hesitancy if people start dying after these injections, which they have, or being hospitalized. And, and now that we've amassed so many hospitalizations, we know the CDC on two occasions in March and June has said, listen, none of the deaths are related to the vaccine. They just said categorically none of them related. And everyone's shaking their head saying, come on, I, I saw it myself. There's even people who have died in the vaccine center and they're doing CPR on them because they have the crash cart there. I said, come on. No, nobody believes none of the deaths are due to the vaccine. There's got to be some that are due to the vaccine. The uh, McLaughlin analysis suggests about 86%. There was another analysis from uh, uh, nursing homes in Scandinavia when they, when they went through nursing home patients who died and they came up with maybe about 40% were in fact directly related to the, the vaccine. The vaccine was just too strong for them. It produces too much spike protein. It damages the body. It just really, and it happens pretty fast. But the point is, forget the deaths. What about all these hospitalizations? Why are people being hospitalized? I mean, I don't want to take the vaccine next week for my job and end up in the hospital. With, what is it, a blood clot? Is it um, a heart attack? Is it a stroke? Uh, uh, what is landing so many Americans in the hospital? And the fact that our agencies, CDC and the FDA, the co-sponsors of the program, have given no press briefing to America. I mean, how come CNN doesn't have a press briefing or Fox or CNBC? A press briefing, you know, uh, attention Americans, a big push for vaccination. Let's review the safety information. And the reason why it's important, because maybe some people, in fact, it's too dangerous for them. Maybe it's the COVID recovered people like you and me. Maybe if they take the vaccine, it's too much, and they're the ones having problems. Maybe it's diabetics, people on other medications. There must be some analysis to tell us who's at risk for a vaccine, death, or hospitalization. We can't go on forever being stonewalled on safety. Is it's you know that the one thing I love and I say that ironically vaccine hesitancy 
I mean, you gotta love the twisting of the semantics. I think it was a uh, famed auto, uh, famed chemist in uh, in Nazi Germany, Otto Ambrose, who, uh, when first confronted by U.S. soldiers, he showed them around a rubber plant. They were making synthetic rubber, and what the soldiers didn't know is his two co-workers, who were very gaunt and had shaved heads, were actually Jews who had still part of the concentration camps that were just scared to death of speaking. And what they realized in hindsight after being debriefed by the OSS, the precursor to the CIA, was what he was explaining, and they think he was getting off to it. What he was explaining was is you have these you have these big vats of rubber and you must make sure they're clean. Clean your hands. Everything said clean your hands. Because one grain of dust or it could cause a blowout on a tire on the Autobahn and mess up a whole convoy. What he was saying was you have to keep the population clean. You have to have cultural cleansing. The twisting of semantics never ceases to amaze me. What he was referring to was the uh, was the mass and uh, systematic incineration of six million Jews and then six million more Sinti, Roma, homosexuals, and gypsies. The whole idea of well, they're vaccine hesitant, they're vac they're super spreaders. To me, it never ceases to to send chills down my spine. That I mean, there are people still alive today. There's still a living prosecutor from the Nuremberg trials. And I'm going off into the weeds now. I get very amped up about this. But someone like myself or just anyone. And again, this is not this is not official medical advice. Anybody listening, you got to talk to your physician. Don't I don't want anyone misconstruing that. Would you recommend the vaccine to be put into children? And, you know, I can tell you, I'm a practicing internist, cardiologist, Dallas. Most of my patients in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, I didn't promote the vaccine, nor did I recommend it against it initially. It came out of the clinical trials in November. Uh, there was new technology. I, I didn't understand it that well, uh, but I was told it was safe and effective. It went through the FDA uh, EUA process. I trusted it. And, and my patients got vaccinated. About 70% of my patients, December, January, February, got vaccinated. People in my family took the vaccine. They needed it for work or travel and okay. But as we saw the data start coming out, I mean, I got really uncomfortable in March. We were at 1,600 deaths. And the day the CDC put on their website, none of these deaths are related to the vaccine, none. And there, there were people on Twitter that had, were basically filming on their phones, get people getting CPR done in the vaccine centers. I said, come on, we just, you know, can the CDC really be saying that? The hardest thing for Americans to understand is what's called malfeasance. Malfeasance is wrongdoing by those in position of authority. And, and, and unfortunately, America is seeing this play out right now. There are government officials who actually get on TV, and there's media people that say the vaccine's safe and effective, take mm -hmm. it. In fact, they've announced that the Federation of State Medical Boards is going to start pulling doctor's licenses for misinformation. So you've seen how I've conducted this interview. I've been pinpoint citing the author and the data. Okay. I'm given information that's citable. People can go look it up and take a look at it. You quoted the VAERS numbers. They can go to open VAERS right now and, and look at every number to make sure that you uh, were, on, were on a point. The people who are saying it's safe and effective are not quoting any information. The people who are saying it's safe and effective are actually the ones giving misinformation. And when it comes down, in the end, it will be justice. And when it comes down to it, it'll be those who just casually said it's safe and effective and take the vaccine without any review of the data, without any consideration of what's going on. It will be those who will be considered the propagators of misinformation. I think we are on a fight of our lives right now. And I thoroughly expect to be targeted. I'm already targeted big time. I expect more 
uh, targeting. And you know what I say? Bring it on because justice will be served in the end. You got it. Got to have a good fight. You know, I've, I've said this before is, you know, as much as it's upsetting and it's terrifying at the same time, like what a blessing that you, you have a fight in your life that is, is justified. I mean, how many, my uncle, uh, how many people were, you know, sent to Vietnam or sent to Korea and they thought, you know, what are we, this isn't a clean cut. We got to go fight the Nazis. It's what are we doing here? We're in a jungle because of domino theory and you got McNamara. Thank God we live in a, we have a life where there is a just fight and it's, and again, I say this to everyone, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. If you want the vaccine, go get it. Knock your socks off. I, if you want to ride a motorcycle without a helmet, do, go do it. Knock your socks off. It's just, we're, we're at an odd time right now because as you've said, if it gets to the point where, where we're seeing now in New York and I believe LA with vaccine passports, you have companies with a direct conflict of interest. Your vaccine passport, it will no longer be viable if you don't get the most up-to-date booster shot. Is your iPhone updated? Do you have the newest iOS update? You don't? Well, you can't go into Walmart. If you don't think that there is a direct conflict of interest to you're going to need a booster shot every six months for the rest of your life, that's where it's going. And as you've pointed out before in interviews, as people have seen that follow this podcast, I'm currently on my fourth suspension on YouTube. Bring them on. I wear them as a badge of honor. It does lead to people who perhaps aren't as bold or as hard-headed as I am. It does lead to manipulation of your actions. It, it Self-censoring, which I refuse to do, which is why I'm talking to you. But if it comes down to behavior modification, like you said, you got I want my kids to go to college this fall. I don't want to lose them to a pulmonary embolism or a stroke. It, it, they're manipulating how you act in everyday life. It's a system of total control. And but you know, but you know, I gotta say, this is an opportunity for heroes. I know a wonderful doctor. He's got a wonderful daughter. She fought so hard to get into medical school, and the medical school is telling her she's got to take the vaccine. She says, "I don't want to take it. I don't think there's it's safe." Violates a closely held religious belief. That is, you cannot take something into your body that in your mind you know is dangerous. That is a common religious belief, by the way, in many religions. You can't do it. You can't do it. It is, it is, a, it is a violation of uh, a closely held religious belief. She filled out her exemptions. She submitted to this medical school. They must have hired a, a um, Supreme Court justice to write the decision on her exemption. It is six pages. It's referenced. It says, no, we're turning this down. You're a threat to yourself. You're a threat to others. You're, you're an imminent danger and on and on and on. And they basically rejected her application say they forced it, you know, take the vaccine. You know what she said? She said, I'm not coming. I'm not coming to medical school. I'm going to sit out. I'm going to retake the MCATs. I'm going to do a little research. And she's going to let it settle down. I've been came with her dad. I said, you know, I know it breaks your heart to turn down a seat in medical school. But I mean, these are the types of things that are going to happen. I know right now in some hospitals, you know, there's enough nurses, enough nurse anesthetists. And uh, they've already seen the Houston Methodist nurses get fired. You know the Houston Methodist nurses that got fired? They were pregnant, trying to have their baby. They had anaphylactic reactions. They can't take the vaccine. They basically were fired because they can't take the vaccine. And, and the other nurses have seen that. You know, some of the nurses have said now, they said, listen, we're walking out and you can't even run the operating rooms. You can't staff the hospital now. It's going to take some backbone of people who say, listen, enough's enough. There was a student uh, in, the, uh, in uh, the East Coast. A family called me. 
And then he said, listen, I, I, you know, they got a vaccine mandate. I can't take the vaccine. I've uh, been recovered. And uh, uh, he goes, what do I do? I said, listen, you file your exemption. They deny it. You file a dispute. You paid your tuition. You're a fully enrolled student. Show up anyway. It's actually illegal for them to tell you you can't get what you're entitled to. You bought that year of college. They can't take that away from you. And it's going to take that degree of backbone. Because right now, uh, uh, no one's helping. Doctors are in a trance. Doctors are in a trance. I'll give you another case example. Wonderful gal. She's an athlete, uh, well-known in her part of the country, runner. She had COVID in December. She actually had COVID myocarditis. The virus affected her heart in December. Well-documented. MRI and everything. Let me tell you what, as a cardiologist, if someone's had myocarditis, you would never give the COVID-19 vaccine and fire this up again. No way. Zero chance that's going to happen. It would be medical malpractice to recommend that. Well, guess what? The university told her, take the vaccine. You can't run. She goes to an outside cardiologist. He looks at her with blank eyes and says, take the vaccine. And the father and the daughter are going nuts. Like, what? And fortunately, they uh, took her religious exemption and she's, you know, good to go. And then she's COVID recovery. She's not a threat to anybody. But that's what's in the minds of people. People are in a trance now. They are in a brainwashed trance about the vaccine. Uh, they are telling pregnant women. I got a call with this uh, gal. She's six months pregnant. She says, my obstetrician is not going to deliver my baby unless I take the vaccine. I said, oh, my gosh, that's grossly unsafe. Uh, pregnant women were excluded from the trials. The FDA and the manufacturers know it's not safe to inject a vaccine that causes production of the dangerous spike protein. Everyone knew that. The consent form at my hospital has got a checkbox. It says, I am not pregnant, and I know I shouldn't get pregnant with the vaccine. So, I mean, it's so clear that pregnant women should not take the vaccine. How can this doctor, with any type of conscience, any type of medical, you know, compass, any type of moral compass, recommend the vaccine for her. Pregnant women who get COVID, we can treat, we can use hydroxychloroquine, it's safe to use. And we have people with systemic lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. You know, I'm a consultant as an internist and cardiologist. I treat high-risk pregnancy patients. I can treat anybody with COVID-19 with simple drugs and get them through the illness. Uh, but I tell you, I can't treat a woman who takes the vaccine and gets a stillbirth or a miscarriage. It is medical malpractice to do that and we've actually I've put together a paper, we just published it in Trial Site News, doing an analysis of the New England Journal of Medicine paper on pregnancy, which we really think they've miscalculated and misrepresented how dangerous the vaccine is to women. And we, our conclusion was it's pregnancy category X, meaning should not be used in pregnancy because we know it has a dangerous mechanism of action. And we know we have no safety data, no safety characterization of the vaccine in pregnant women. So it should not be administered to any pregnant woman. What was my response to this distraught woman and her mother? I said, listen, you tell that obstetrician you want standard obstetrical care, period. Nothing, nothing beyond standard. The vaccine is not standard. The vaccine is not a standard of care. It's investigational. The vaccine consent form says, we don't know if the vaccine is going to work and we don't know if it's going to be safe. That's not standard. No institution, no organization can mandate something that's not standard, that's not safe and effective. Yet they're doing it, and as as I believe you said before, I mean, there there are uh, examples or occasions of women of pregnant women taking the vaccine, or not. Excuse me, uh, new new mothers taking the vaccine and and uh, giving the spike proteins through uh, breast milk to the baby and killing the baby. 
Well, just an update. There was a paper on that recently, and I can't locate the first author, but I want to represent it fairly, where they did look for it in breast milk. And as I recall, the spike protein, they couldn't find it, but they could find the messenger RNA. You still don't want that in a baby. Honestly, you don't want any foreign substance to a baby. Dr. Harvey Risch presented the clinical vignette that you mentioned on uh, Ingram Angle, Laura Ingram, uh, for American to hear. And, and it's true that a woman who is uh, breastfeeding uh, took the vaccine at the recommendation of somebody. And if you're, remember, the person who is ultimately responsible for taking the vaccine is the person, mm -hmm. the patient, not the doctor. Okay, so what, whatever, you're, if your doctor said jump out of an airplane without a parachute, you're not going to do that. So the bottom line is, it's up to the person who walks in the vaccine center and signs the consent. They're the ones ultimately responsible. She went and did it. She took the vaccine two days later or several days later, uh, the baby died. And the baby, the baby's death had all the fingerprints on it that it looked like it was related to the vaccine. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you're right. I mean, it's it's your decision. It doesn't matter if everyone's saying do it. It's I mean, it's, this is a Darwinian selection at its purest form, I suppose. Why is it? And I said I was going to talk to you. For, I told you in the email if I can steal you for a half hour, and I've stole you for fifty minutes. So, uh, let, let, do you got a couple more minutes, and then I'll, I'll let no, you. No, I, I got about maybe two or three. Two. We'll, we'll do. Work. We'll do. We'll do one. We'll do one minute okay. then. Okay. Okay. We'll chop out all the former questions then. Is this a violation of the Nuremberg Code? Is there going to be justice coming from this? And is there any silver lining in, in your opinion? Uh, I think we're in a very dark time in the world. You know, we, we, you know we're all, uh, you know, wound up in the United States. I mean, you want to go to Australia and be under lockdown. You can't, you can't even go out with more than one person. You can't even buy anything. Uh, the whole world right now is just in an absolute totalitarian crisis about a respiratory infection that's treatable and about vaccines that don't work and they're not safe. I mean, you couldn't get a worse situation. So we have a very, very uh, you know, a clear pathway out of this. We need to treat the virus. We need to drop this vaccine program, drop all the restrictions on people, focus on the sick people, and we can get through this illness as more and more people like you and me build immunity. We can't get it again. You and I can go right up to somebody right in the face, get caught in the face. We can't get it. And so the more immune people we get, that virus ultimately is going to smolder out. Fortunately, the Delta variant is the easiest of all variants. But there does need to be justice in this really tense situation. And all the tension, by the way, is related to the vaccine. If you drop the vaccine tomorrow, I guarantee people would be cheering. They would be cheering. Nobody wants this vaccine. Nobody wants it worldwide. The vaccine centers are empty. They're offering million-dollar raffles for people to take it. I don't want to buy life for a million dollars. You know, uh, flight attendants, incredible bonuses. And flight attendants, I don't want blood clots. And you see what's happening. You know, there's even sporadic reports of pilots for crying out loud, not making it. So people know their life is on the line with the vaccine. Most people will say, listen, I'll take my chances with COVID. Just get me early treatment, early treatment protocol. I'll take my chances. Now, if somebody is so fearful of COVID-19, they really, and I have some patients with heart and lung disease, and they want to take the vaccine and understand the risks and benefits, fine. An optional vaccine is fine. In fact, there may be a safer vaccine coming called Novavax. That's a pure antigen-based vaccine, no genetic uh, mechanisms there. And Novavax would be fine. If, I think they couldn't get that in here soon enough, get the old ones out and have Novavax, maybe a few high-risk seniors. But right now, our agencies are not giving alien data. In fact, I did have a patient who is in that risk zone. She called me the other day. She goes, Dr. McCall, I hear the vaccines are failing. Which one's the best of the current vaccines? I said, I can't tell you because our agencies are giving no data 
for each one of the vaccines. They're just saying, take it, take any one. So what's going on is in a sense, irresponsibility. Everyone should understand these are different products. Of course, they must have different rates of efficacy. Of course, they must be failing at different rates. Of course, right now, Pfizer or Moderna or J&J, one of them is actually the winner. One of them is providing more protection than the others. And America is held uh, a hostage to knowing that information by its federal agencies. Absolutely insane. I will let you go. I'm going to stop, okay. I'm going to stop recording in a second because I want to say something to you off camera. But Dr. McCullough, God bless you, sir. Thank you Thank so you. much for coming on here. And um, everyone listening to this, please send it around to people because Lord knows YouTube's not going to keep it up. Don't go anywhere. I got one thing to say to you real quick. Let me stop recording. And Recording.